coming back to the SVB story, so what happened here is that they felt they were safe with all these uh, government-backed securities, but then the interest rate in US went up, and when interest rates go up, what happens is that the bond prices fall. So you have a mark-to-market loss, and when this liquidity crisis rose for them, they tried to liquidate these liquid. I would say they are pretty well-traded securities, but they had to sell them at a loss. To estimate the overall losses. The U.S. Treasury price would have fallen by about 20-25 percent against that. So the 200 billion dollars in deposits that SVB held, they would have fallen by about 20 percent, which is a 40 billion dollar or so mark-to-market loss. The price of a credit default swap on the Credit Suisse bond, which is effectively an insurance contract on Credit Suisse's bonds, jumped sharply over the last two three days, and they're pricing the the risk of default at Credit Suisse at 40%. Wow, that high is Yeah, it? yeah, it's crazy high for, for Credit Suisse. But the way uh, things are playing out in the US market, uh, this entire winter seems to be an extended one. And we may have to deal with this interest rate inflation issues and banking issues for a much longer period of time. So I'm, I'm gearing myself up to be, uh, uh, you know, in for the long haul over here. And let's see how the actual, uh, you know, events play out. But till you don't have stability in the global markets, you can't expect outperformance in the Nifty and the Sensex. What are the effect of all this on the Indian economy? Now, of course, El Nino is a risk factor. But I would say that all of what is happening in the US with SVB and the other banks and with Credit Suisse has got absolutely no implication for the US, for the Indian economy and Indian corporate earnings. In fact, since this crisis has started, we have seen oil prices go down. And that's extremely positive for India because we are trying to deal with inflation caused by high commodity prices and certainly lower oil prices will benefit the economy, will benefit a whole host of corporate earnings. Absolutely, absolutely. I think every time oil goes down, our economy benefits. 60% of the droughts coincide with the El Nino effect. And you know, we've been having almost five great years of monsoon. Four or five years have been great from from monsoon point of view. By law of averages, you can expect a poor monsoon, and that's something that the Indian markets will have to deal with. I've seen markets like this for the last 40 years or so, and global crises come. Whenever there's a global crisis like what we are seeing, and mind you, this is a walk in the park type of a crisis compared to 2008 and compared to 2000, uh, and what happened during the sovereign uh, debt crisis, the pigs uh, crisis over there. So this is nowhere close to the earlier crisis which we have seen. So this is the best time for you to buy outstanding businesses at reasonable valuation, which is really the mantra for getting a higher return in the stock market. So uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to the sixth podcast in our Indian Market Story series. We've had a lot of events going on this week and, uh, you know, really interesting things to talk about. And um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we've got a lot of really interesting information. And uh, I think let's start at the top. Uh, It's been a very interesting week for banks, especially in the US. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a very exciting week and a bit tiring as well because, uh, you know, I've seen this picture play before where there are credit problems in the US market and they spill over into our market. And what we are seeing is a classic risk of trade. Uh, this is exactly what happened in 2008 and the Lehman Brothers crisis. And this is a mini trailer or I would say a mini uh, series of what happened at that point of time. Yeah. But it's not as severe as, uh, as it was then. 
but yes i think it has a lot of common shades over there so why don't we why don't we try and deconstruct this for our viewers so what is the bank's basic business model like how does it make money in and what went wrong here for svb because um traditionally banks are meant to be safe they're meant to be secure so how how does a bank normally make its money and what is gone wrong here i guess so i think banks all over the world are very popular with investors because they are very simple business model and in a way their assets and liabilities are very transparent and they are highly regulated by the central bank so that makes analyzing bank balance sheets relatively easy so what happened over here is that svb was a very popular bank with a lot of startups and they started putting more and more deposits into svb their actual deposits went up almost four times in the last two years to reach touch about 200 billion dollars or so and when you have so much of cash inflow coming in it's difficult for the management to deploy so in their wisdom they invested most of it into us government securities and government backed mortgage securities now you can't go wrong in terms of a long term play over here these are the safest assets on earth and uh, there should never be a issue of any default over here but that's not how banks traditionally work right traditionally they have deposits and they give out those loans and they take a margin is that i mean broadly is that how it works that's right and ideally svb should have diversified its asset portfolio which means not put all its eggs in one basket but i think it happens so fast over there and frankly varun i, I think the regulation over there in us is not as strong as rbi and we'll come to that later in this podcast so i think uh, i was looking at a number there was 42 billion dollars worth of withdrawals in a single day and i think that's the impact of digitalization on banking where bank runs now are quicker and more severe than ever that's right the click of a button uh, most you can move money from one yep. bank to another bank yep. but coming back to the svb story so what happened here is that they felt they were safe with all these uh, government backed securities but then the interest rate in us went up and when interest rates go up what happens is that the bond prices fall so you have a mark to market loss and when this liquidity crisis rose for them they try to liquidate these liquid i would say they are pretty well traded securities but they have to sell them at a loss so when you book the mark to market loss it erodes your capital and to for a bank when the capital gets eroded they have to immediately uh, raise capital they have to restore their capital adequacy ratios and when they try to do that they could not get the required funding and then there was a huge run on the bank and the fdic had to step in and take over the bank that's what happened it was a classic run on the bank let's let's maybe let's slow down and, and because that's a lot of information for someone to digest you know it's let's let's go slow and let's maybe deconstruct this so let's try and understand what a mark to market loss for a bond here is um so from my understanding when you have a bond particularly a long maturity bond like the us treasury which pays in interest rate over 10 years the price of the bond is basically the discounted future cash flows so essentially the money that's being paid 3 years 5 years 10 years down the line is worth something less today than what it would be in the future that's right and as interest rates rise as they have been the value of money in the future falls more and more in the present and that's where these mark to market losses came to be that's right and if i uh, if i look at the data the us interest rates rose from 0.5% at the depths of the pandemic in i guess mid 2020 to 4.1 4.2% today and to estimate the overall losses 
the US Treasury price would have fallen by about 20-25% against that. So the $200 billion in deposits that SVB held, they would have fallen by about 20%, which is a $40 billion or so mark-to-market loss. And uh, that's where they started looking to raise capital, right? That's right. I think that's what happened. And uh, because they couldn't raise the capital, it uh, went into receivership. And then there was a run on the bank because, uh, you know, fear spreads very fast. See, the thing about banks is all about trust, Varun. If the trust is lost in the bank, then people will panic and they will uh, hit the bolt and exit as soon as they can. Exactly. But uh, it seems like that's playing out again now with Credit Suisse. So just to give you something really interesting to digest, um, the, the price of a credit default swap on the Credit Suisse bond, which is effectively an insurance contract on Credit Suisse's bonds, jumped sharply over the last two, three days. And they're pricing the the risk of default at Credit Suisse at 40%. Wow, that high is it? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy high for, for Credit Suisse. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a series of scandals for them, but also very bad management practices. I think now to shore up liquidity, they've also offered uh, fixed deposits for customers who are putting more than five, $5 million above what they're owning. So for example, if you put above $5 million and you lock it in for three years, they're offering a 7% rate of return, a 7% or 8% rate of return. Uh, against that, if you use that money to buy a government security, you get maybe 5-6%. So they're eating huge losses on these new deposits to try and shore up their liquidity, which is absolutely active desperation. And most recently, they went to their largest shareholder, which is, I think, the Saudi National Bank. They declined to put in further funds, uh, but it appears like the Swiss National Bank has come in with a rescue package and they can borrow up to 50 billion francs at will which, um, I don't know, it seems like a, a show of weakness, but the market has rallied on that news. That's right. But you know, this shows the basic brittleness of the US banking system and also that of the large banks in Europe as well. And this is the fear factor which is reflected in the 20% decline in the bank, the KBW index in US, 20% decline. I mean, I, I cannot imagine in India if the bank Nifty were to decline by 20%, what sort of an impact it would have on the country, on the stock market, on the trust factor, and on the sentiment. But we had the situation in US, 20% decline, which I thought was... Yeah, and it's not, I mean, we've talked about uh, SVB, but it's not just SVB. Yes. There's Signature Bank, which has also gone into receivership, and Silvergate, which has also collapsed. An interesting interesting point to note over here. SVB, Silvergate, and Signature Bank, all three of them were the only three banks in the US that acted as on-ramps to the crypto world, which is effectively they were willing to process payments and put them in the accounts of crypto exchanges and companies so that their customers, customers, could buy cryptocurrency like SVB, Signature and uh, Silvergate all had an internal network as well to, to offer crypto backed loans to their customers. One of Silvergate's biggest clients was I believe FTX and it seems almost obvious that the banks that were most exposed to this whole crypto uh, mess have collapsed. It's it's really it's not a it's not a uh, coincidence at all as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but you know, the real effect of all this is what, why banks are so important, 
and if your banking sector is weak what it means is that they cannot fund the economy they cannot fund the businesses and that's where the problem starts and that's where the panic starts and which is why you see not just the banks but the entire market us and then the contagion spread to other markets as well that's when the kind of correction or the decline starts because if banks are weak in the economy then i think that economy is poised for recession that economy is poised for many problems and i think that's what is getting reflected over here and most importantly i think for the indian markets what happened again over here is we saw the massive effect of a risk off trade you know we've discussed this thing risk on risk off and let's just take a minute to explain what this risk off and risk on is to the investor so risk off from what i understand is fis are basically pulling their money out of emerging markets so how does that work i mean what what precipitates uh, that kind of outflow because on the face of it the fundamentals are strong why would you pull money out of a, a stronger economy um, into a weaker economy I, at least from the outsider's perspective very difficult question to answer and i've been scratching my head on this one for a long time but maybe i'm biased towards india but somebody sitting in us some investor he may feel that he's better off in us government securities or in some absolutely sovereign guaranteed uh, funds rather than investing in india because there is a correlation of the currency factor over here so whenever there's a risk of trade whenever there's turmoil in the market the dollar strengthens and all currencies including the indian rupee tends to depreciate so if you're holding indian assets even if the asset price remains stable you're looking at a mark to market loss because of the currency depreciation so there are many linkages over here but instead of getting too deep into it let's just say that whenever there is a crisis many or large in the global markets in us fii sell and one very important characteristic of the fii selling is that they are the price makers they then want to exit in a few minutes in a few hours and not try and sell in a systematic slow manner they just want to get out of it cut blank finished and that kind of a buying uh, selling cannot be absorbed by a single buyer and especially the buying fit is going to come from the indian investors indian investors are generally the price takers so when you talk to a mutual fund manager or a dealer they always want to put the bids lower and lower and then buy whereas when the fi wants to sell he would put a market order he would try and hit sell as much as he can and that's what causes the price decline so the risk of trade is extremely dangerous and it can overextend itself and take markets to levels which may be fundamentally you may feel that they are extremely cheap interesting so would you say that india is poised for a difficult time over the next couple of months next year as this risk of trade plays out yeah well i'm really disappointed varun because we were expecting that this inflation interest rate problem will get solved maybe in the march quarter june quarter or so but the way uh, things are playing out in the us market uh, this entire winter seems to be an extended one and we may have to deal with this interest rate inflation issues and banking issues for a much longer period of time so i'm i'm getting myself up to be uh, uh, you know in for the long haul over here and let's see how the actual uh, you know events play out but till you don't have stability in the global markets you can't expect outperformance in the nifty and the sensex fair enough but from a domestic perspective at least okay global markets are in turmoil but is there any cause for concern in the way domestic consumption patterns are playing out um any 
any big events in the future. I mean, I'll point one out that's uh, that's been seen in the news recently. El Nino, which is always uh, always a distraction or or hurts the Indian economy. Um, is that a major risk? Is that going to play out? What What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep an eye on the El Nino, how it is progressing. But uh, more importantly, the first part of your question is what are the effect of all this on the Indian economy? Now, of course, El Nino is a risk factor. But I would say that all of what is happening in the US with SVB and the other banks and with Credit Suisse has got absolutely no implication for the US, for the Indian economy and Indian corporate earnings. In fact, since this crisis has started, we have seen oil prices go down. And that's extremely positive for India because we are trying to deal with inflation caused by high commodity prices and certainly lower oil prices will benefit the economy, will benefit a whole host of corporate earnings. Absolutely, absolutely. I think every time oil goes down, our economy benefits. Absolutely. But it takes time for that to actually play out and to see the effect in the economy. But for the time being, there is a short term correlation between oil prices falling and Indian equities falling. But let's not get into that. Coming to the El Nino effect, I think that's a, quite a serious issue because what, what is the El Nino effect uh, for someone that really doesn't understand it very well? What so is it? Basically, it is warming up of the waters in the Pacific and that usually leads to less uh, moisture in the clouds and therefore the precipitation in the Indian subcontinent is lower, which means we get uneven rains, we get shortfall in rains in certain critical areas. Now, India is a very large uh, country geographically and the patterns of the rainfall also differ from state to state and from uh, uh, period of time as well. And therefore, this El Nino has an erratic and uneven, uneven effect on the Indian monsoon, which uh, is very important for the rural areas, which is very important from point of view of food grain cultivation. I think historically also El Nino has been associated with drought in India. Is Absolutely, that? Yes. I think uh, I would say that 40-50% of the rather more recently last 10 years, 60% of the droughts coincide with the El Nino effect. And you know, we've been having almost five great years of monsoon. Four or five years have been great from, from monsoon point of view. By law of averages, you can expect a poor monsoon and that's something that the Indian markets will have to deal with. But you know, Varun, there is a lot of choice and a lot of diversity in Indian stock markets. So if certain companies are impacted by the monsoon, there will be some which will benefit because of a very warm summer and we'll come to that. And there are some which are totally unimpacted by what happens in the rural sector and what happens in the agricultural sector. So investors can easily move their money from the sectors which are being impacted by a poor monsoon to sectors which are not at all affected. Understood. So what sectors would you say uh, would benefit the most from, uh, I guess, these different conditions? And what sectors are set to suffer? See, I would say that if you're perspiring and you're expecting a very warm summer, extremely hot summer, then you can hedge your bet by buying the companies which provide the cooling products. That could be air conditioners, coolers, fans, uh, you know, all those sort of um, uh, companies. I think they will come into focus and have extremely good demand. Second is beverage companies like Varun Beverages is there or ice cream companies like Varilal Industries. I think they should see very high sales growth if the summer is very warm. And then there are the power companies, especially the ones which do not have a back-to-back -back power purchase agreement and sell part of their power in the open market. 
they may benefit because power consumption may go up and you may see the prices of uh, per unit power also yeah in fact power, power companies should be very well poised to benefit because on one hand you have commodity prices falling and on the other hand in the domestic market you have electricity demand surging so hopefully uh, you know there's there's a good play to be made in some some power stocks absolutely i think uh, and uh, you know large power company like ntpc uh, certainly they have a lot of capacity which they can get going if there's a shortfall of power but i would still prefer to play the appliance companies than the power companies i think the returns over there may be better then if there's actually a drought and you feel that come june july uh, things are not looking that great on the monsoon front then you may have to see a mild correction or a sharp correction in all agri related stocks so that includes pesticides includes fertilizers includes tractor manufacturers and mind you these sectors have done exceedingly well over the last 4 or 5 years or so so you could expect some correction over there india's fmcg the likes of hul nestle godrej they are all very much connected and linked to the rural sector as well a lot of their sales come from the rural areas their maximum growth over the last 4 or 5 years has come because of expanding the rural network and if the rural demand is soft because of a monsoon then that's going to affect their volumes as well and i think there's also data shows that over the last couple of quarters rural demand in general has been soft so this could be i guess piling on more misery on top of uh... absolutely i think rural has been affected more by the pandemic than the urban areas and that's that effect was felt for many months even after the lockdowns were lifted and now if we have this particular situation then certainly is going to impact uh, the, the the sentiment also they could have a negative effect on the government finances as well it's because the government will of course if there's a drought or if there is a situation where uh, the rainfall is short then they will step in and provide uh, some stimulus or some monetary benefits to the people of that area and so, in the election year varun 2024 is just around the corner the government will try and as much as possible mitigate the effect of a drought no i i see that that makes sense but maybe i guess to play uh, play the devil's advocate on one hand yes there's a risk of a drought but i think india's maybe more resilient than it's ever been to face a drought like this i think our reservoir levels are at all time highs our food grain stocks are at all time highs so okay in the la- in in our recent history every time the arenas hit it's been bad there's been a fall in rural demand but hopefully there's more resilience in the economy this time i would absolutely think so and ground water levels are also high because of four or five good monsoons so i think we should be able to tie through uh, these el nino effect if at all but you know varun makar is all about sentiment so even if the data shows that the monsoons are pretty much fine but if for some reason rural demand is even slightly soft then the companies which i mentioned the sectors which i mentioned because of a adverse sentiment you may see a sell off in them got it so i guess maybe just to summarize everything we've discussed so far um global headwinds will certainly affect the indian economy but uh, there's also some local challenges particularly in the agricultural and rural sectors because of weather pattern disruptions anything that i'm missing out here any uh, any cause for hope no i think that um, you know i have seen markets like this for the last 40 years or so and global crisis come whenever there's a global crisis like what we are seeing and mind you this is a walk in the park type of a crisis compared to 2008 and compared to 2000 uh, and what happened during the sovereign uh, debt crisis the pigs 
crisis over there. So this is nowhere close to the earlier crisis which we have seen. And these global challenges do sort themselves out and they uh, kind of, you know, eventually they dissipate. But I have noticed in the past that such moments are great buying moments. So from a strategy perspective, I'd like to leave the viewers with one simple uh, process that they may follow. Over the last three, four years, we have seen that the great outstanding businesses, their price to earnings multiple, their valuation ratios have been skyrocketing. So for example, a company which is growing even at 20% was trading at a price to earnings multiple means the earnings per share, uh, market price divided by the earnings per share at 60, 70 times or so. And now because of the passage of time and because of a correction which we are seeing in the market, you may see the compression of this price to earnings multiple to more reasonable levels like 40, 50 times or so. And if this crisis persists, then the valuations will get even more attractive. So this is the best time for you to buy outstanding businesses at reasonable valuations, which is really the mantra for getting a higher return in the stock market. So keep your eyes and ears absolutely you know, alert over here. You will have some brilliant buying opportunities if this correction persists. And lastly, the market is now trading below the 200 day moving average. That generally is a bearish trend. Either it has to go back up above the 200 day moving average in the next two, three, four, five weeks max. Otherwise, I think you can see a deeper correction. I know we don't follow technicals here, Varun, but the 200 day moving average is something which uh, even the raw fundamental analysts. It's a red line. Yes. It's a red line you don't want to cross. Well, uh, I guess it's a great note to end the podcast on and leave our viewers with something to think about. Uh, and I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. And uh, we'll be back, I think, again in a couple of weeks' time uh, with, with fresh updates on the global banking crisis and, uh, and more news and analysis to follow. Really enjoyed this podcast, Varun. Thank you.